0: Hello! Hello. And welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents, where we take deep, irreverent dives into lesser-known stories of the early American presidents and their families.
1: Yes, I'm Jess.
0: And I'm Howard.
1: He's the history expert, or historical enthusiast, as you will, and I am an innocent bystander. Uh,
0: Did you say bystander?
1: Bystander. Bystander? (laughs) Yeah, it's someone
0: who's standing by.
1: I get it now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I wouldn't say you're innocent, by the way.
1: I'm pretty innocent.
0: Um, As bystanders go. As
1: (laughs) bystanders. You're you're
0: definitely an accomplice.
1: Well, I'm definitely kind of tough with these press-on tattoos I've got going on here. That's
0: true. I'm excited because this is our 25th episode.
1: What? Happy 25th anniversary. Congratulations to you (laughs) and me. Yeah. I mean, you are doing all the writing, the editing, the merch management.
0: And you've stuck by me through all of it. And here you are.
1: Well, we'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's see if we can get through the end of 25. Uh, I'm also excited because we are hosting our all patron Zoom coming up on November 14th.
1: Woohoo!
0: It's going to be a fun virtual meetup where all of our patrons are invited, including brand new ones who sign up right up until that date.
1: Oh, it's going to be a party.
0: Yeah. And I'm excited about today's story. Oh, really? It is very much a family affair.
1: Uh, an Adams family affair?
0: Why do you assume that? Why do you assume <laughs> anytime I talk about anything, family? it's going to have to do with the Adamses? Usually
1: it's a family of Adamses.
0: <sighs> well, we're going to talk about some adult things today. We're going to use some adult language. So now might be a good time to put your headphones on to protect the sensitive ears of your parents. <laughs> Are you familiar with a game called Fuck, Mary, Kill?
1: um no no i mean i've heard of it but i can't remember anything about it
0: well it's it's very easy it's where you think of three people and you decide which one of them you want to fuck which one you want to marry and which one you want to kill
1: oh mary as in like marriage i was thinking of like mary where you say her name in the mirror you're you're thinking of bloody mary bloody mary yeah. Is that a game where you say her name in the mirror and then she appears? Yeah. That's Bloody Mary. Yeah. That's I thought a... Bloody Mary was a drink.
0: It's it's both.
1: Pop culture is very confusing. <laughs> Bloody Mary is not
0: part of this game.
1: <laughs> okay. So now I understand Mary as, as in marriage. Not yeah. I'm Mary. sorry. I was like, I, I think I know this game, but I'm very confused by the Mary part. I didn't know Mary was part. Of... Okay. So I do know this game. Oh, you
0: do. Okay, great, yeah,
1: great. Thank Wonderful. Thank you for reminding Wonderful. me. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs>
0: Today we're going to talk about a woman named Mary, uh. Mary Catherine Helen, who played a real life game of "fuck Mary, kill" with the sons of John Quincy Adams.
1: Oh, the Adams. Yes. They are here.
0: <laughs> this is a story of George, uh-huh. John, and Charles Adams, and their relationship with Mary Helen, their cousin.
1: Wait a minute. So they're cousins?
0: Look, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I can see how you might be confused. Cousin back then just meant um, like your uncle and aunt's children.
1: That's what it is now.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right.
1: So she fucked one cousin, married the other, and then she killed a third cousin?
0: Okay, the kill part might be an exaggeration.
1: For what? Well,
0: you'll like see. Partially
1: killing somebody? <laughs> it's like... um,
0: this is a story in three acts. And the three acts are well, the name of the game.
1: Mm.
0: So marrying your cousin was sort of a tradition in the Adams family. Mm-hmm. John and Abigail were third cousins. Uh, okay, but John Quincy Adams, his son, he went outside the family, okay. outside the country, even. Good
1: for him. <laughs> yes,
0: um, he found his bride Louisa.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Her sisters, however, they also like to keep things in the family.
1: It's just gross. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's, of course, my own biases. And that maybe we can argue is more of a product of the time.
0: Back then, I guess, I mean, there weren't as many people. So your cousins kind of had to like step up and take on new roles. Louisa's sister, Nancy, married their first cousin, Walter Helen.
1: Were their children okay?
0: Um, (laughs) Yes. Okay is debatable. Oh. Nancy and her cousin husband, Walter.
1: Her cousin husband.
0: (laughs) They had three children together two sons and a daughter named. Mary Helen. Mm. When Mary was just four years old, her mother and Nancy died.
1: Can't take it. Mom, mom, it got so sad.
0: Her father remarried, but he didn't want to rock the boat too much. He liked being a cousin husband. <laughs> so he married Nancy's sister, <laughs> okay. Adelaide. Adelaide. Adelaide.
1: That's a fun thing to say, but wow, how does that go over in the family? Is everyone cool with that?
0: I don't know, but it's important to think that back then the thinking was cousins are just spouses you haven't married yet. Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They're easy, like they're easy spouses because you've known them for your whole life, so it just makes sense.
0: I was engaged to a cousin once.
1: Okay. You're looking at me like you're very serious about this. I
0: was. I was five years old, though, (laughs) Um, and it just wasn't meant to be. Oh. Yeah. So because of this marriage, that means that Mary's aunt, Adelaide, was now her stepmother, And her first cousin once removed by marriage, which I don't know if that's a thing. But then this is where it gets interesting, at least to me. Okay. Walter and Adelaide, his cousin wife, sister-in-law, they had a child together. Yes. And that kid was Mary's half-brother, first cousin, and also, I think, her second cousin.
1: I don't like it.
0: This has been another episode of Relatively Speaking with Howard and Josh. Thanks for listening
1: and keep it in the family. <laughs> or don't. <clears throat> the choice is yours.
0: <laughs> Back to young Mary Helen. Okay. Her mother died when she was four and then when she was just nine years old, her father died.
1: Gosh, this is terrible.
0: She stayed with her stepmother aunt for a couple of years, but Adelaide's health wasn't great. So Mary's aunt Louisa stepped in. She and John Quincy Adams welcomed Mary into their home and probably also the young enslaved girl, Rachel Clark, that was the same age as Mary. Mm. Kind of like the body servants of Thomas Jefferson's family that we talked about in the Elizabeth Jefferson episode. Yeah. Yeah. Each kid gets their own person to grow up with them and learn their habits so they can know exactly how to serve them and maybe be more loyal.
1: It's just, I mean, I said it then and I'll say it again. That is just disgusting.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, this made for a pretty full house. Because Louisa and John Quincy had three sons of their own. The oldest was George Washington Adams. mm mm-hmm. um, John Quincy's father, John Adams, was not too happy about that name being their first choice, by the way.
1: <laughs> I can imagine.
0: Uh, George Washington Adams was 16 years old at the time. And he was always the romantic, poetic brother with the huge burden of being the oldest on his shoulders. hmm The middle child was John Adams II. Grandpa liked that name a little better. hmm <laughs> He was fourteen at the time. He was more sarcastic and snotty, maybe a little full of himself.
1: Mm-hmm. This is reminding me of the four sons on Passover: the simple <laughs> son, the the wise son. It's almost
0: like that, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, and the youngest son was Charles Francis Adams. He was ten years old, and he was always keenly observant of the world around him. And he strived to be dutiful.
1: The wise son,
0: maybe. So here comes Mary Catherine Helen, daughter of cousins, stepdaughter of cousins, niece of cousins, this super cousin who is by all accounts beautiful into this house with her three male cousins. What could possibly go wrong?
1: Well, I could guess one of them winds up almost dead. One of them is fucked (laughs) (laughs) and one of them is um, married.
0: We will see. Act one. Fuck. Fuck.
1: Okay, I like where we're starting.
0: This is the shortest of the acts. Oh, sorry. This act focuses on the youngest Adam's brother, Mm -hmm. Charles Francis. He was the closest in age to Mary Helen, just a year younger than her. In fact, Louisa wrote to Charles Francis when he was 10 years old that Mary Helen had a fine natural genius, and though she is not so advanced in her education as you are, you must take care that she does not overtake you. And overtake is an interesting term because when they were older, Charles Francis's heart was completely overtaken by his feelings for Mary Helen. Hmm. We don't.
1: She was telling him not to let that happen again.
0: Um, no, all Louisa was saying was like she might be smarter than you. You better study. You know, where this girl cousin of yours is going to overtake you. Right. But she overtook him maybe in other ways.
1: I see. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? So, I, I will deliver the message. <laughs> Just a moment. <laughs> We don't know exactly what happened between Charles Francis and Mary Helen, but we know that it was naughty and we know that it did not end well.
1: Naughty? Yeah.
0: From her arrival in the Adams home, Louisa described Mary Helen as a very fine girl, but a little wild. (laughs) So wild that she took her out of school to teach her at home.
1: Huh. What was she doing at school? And how old was she at this point?
0: She was only um, like 11 or 12 at this point.
1: And she was taken out of school because why?
0: I don't know. I'm not sure if she didn't trust her out in the world and thought she would be safer at home, uh, which may not have been the best choice in hindsight.
1: (laughs) Oh, God.
0: Charles Francis, when he was in his 20s, he called her even worse things than wild. He said she was one of the most capricious women that were ever formed in a capricious race.
1: She's only 12 at this point?
0: No, this is what he says about her later. later. Okay. Yeah. Um, but these words were coming from a place of heartbreak and jealousy. Mm. His feelings were so strong because he'd once fallen for her hard. Huh. We get hints of what happened. He says things like, I had reason to know Mary well. And he loved the woman too deeply. In a diary entry that he wrote about going on a carriage ride with her that was quite pleasant. He says, I'm obliged to be amazingly cautious in my conduct towards her. Mm the relatives I perceive watch me so closely now that I am <laughs> always forced to keep a certain level. If in either too high or too low spirits for any time in her presence, it is set down immediately as a relapse. So he's talking about her like relapses, like like she's an addiction. Ah, uh, And his relatives are watching him because they, they know, I don't know what they know.
1: They probably sense that he is into her.
0: But the fact that there's like a relapse... It makes me wonder, like, do they know something that that happened before and and how do they know it? Did someone walk in on something?
1: Yeah, the word relapse definitely indicates that there was action involved. Yeah. And that there was action that happened before and before this moment. And the family probably knows it or else they wouldn't be watching so closely. Yeah.
0: And we just don't know. Charles also says that Mary Helen, and I love this phrasing, he says, she has some alluring ways which are apt to make every man forget myself.
1: I'm very confused by the end there.
0: Like he's talking about men in general, but But then then he says myself.
1: Right. That's a projection effect. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's like he's saying uh, she has the power to arouse any man and give him my boner. (laughs) (laughs) Then he says, but she is not what she was. And I have had too hard a trial to think of ever wishing to endure the same.
1: Interesting. How did she change?
0: I don't know. She She's 18 when he wrote that. My so goodness. it's not like she she's a child. has changed. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I, like she's grown old. No, no. So it's not aging. So I don't know if he means that she was just different than he thought she was or how he built her up in his mind. I don't know. It, it just sounds like a very bitter heartbreak to me. Huh. But he took a lesson from it. He said, there is magic in a petticoat to a young man. And he talks about having passions for women that he must keep on guard, and he says that he's been successful with one exception, and he says that exception, which is what biographer Paul Nagel calls Mary introducing him to the delights of the flesh. Ooh. He says that that one exception helped him realize just how easy it is to give in to your passions, and that to gratify them would mean ruin. 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 Yeah. So that that insight into his own <laughs> insatiable lust, I guess. Uh, It helped him summon the willpower to resist the siren calls of that petticoat magic.
1: (laughs) That's what this episode should be called, I think.
0: Petticoat magic? Yeah. (laughs) Mm, I like it. Um, He fell for and possibly into his cousin Mary Helen, and he came out of it bitter, jaded, and guarded.
1: Hmm. Was he a lot older than her?
0: No, he was a year younger than her.
1: Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like a... She's so young, and she should want me, and then she rejected me. It's a little boy pining after an older cousin,
0: yeah, I mean not not much older, but right, you know, maybe it was like I loved her, we either did get together or we didn't, and um she didn't want me anymore, or who knows hmm. or you know, because these are puritanical adamses. Um, he was so angry with himself for giving in to his desires that he turned that into like a bitterness and anger toward her
1: Yeah, who knows that's very psychologically astute to feel,
0: uh, you know, I mean if it were me, I would just write poetry, but hey. <laughs> um, So that's how he came out of this and th- the question is would his brothers fare any better and Doesn't that sound like it
1: <laughs> And that brings us well, one of them might
0: we'll see that brings us to act two Mary
1: With two hours. Thank you.
0: So Charles was always super observant. He looked up to his father and he was amazed at how you could look at the face of John Quincy Adams for 10 minutes or more and have no idea how he felt about what was going on. He had such a poker face and he kept things bottled up inside. And Charles wrote, he makes enemies by perpetually wearing the iron mask. Hmm. Charles admired this. And he wanted to control his passions like a good repressed puritanical
1: Adams.
0: (laughs) But George, George, the oldest, he was a romantic and he never learned to control his passions. So George, when he was just two years old, John Quincy was elected to the U.S. Senate. And when they were traveling to D.C. on a boat, little George grabbed the keys to their trunks and he chucked them into the water. And then he threw both of his shoes overboard before they could stop him.
1: Oh, my goodness. He was trying to make a statement.
0: What kind of statement?
1: Uh, Like, fuck you all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. He's
1: like, I will be listened to. (laughs) Yes.
0: I mean, our kids don't like their shoes a lot of the time either.
1: Shoes get chucked in our house a lot.
0: Yeah. If we spent any time at all on a boat, this could easily happen to us.
1: It makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a story from when he was six years old, George Washington Adams, uh, that speaks to his impulses and passions, but in, in a more positive way. And it also shows how aware he was of the path that he was on and the pressure he was under. When he was six, he got thrown off a swing by some like neighborhood bullies or something, and he dislocated his shoulder. He was so brave at the doctors that his grandfather, John Adams, gave him a half dollar.
1: Well, that's nice.
0: Yeah. He was so excited about that money that he ran into the common. And when he saw a classmate, he gave the money to that boy. Oh. And he said... Spend this on gingerbread for the boys, and when I'm president, I'll make you secretary of state. Wow. And this this was way before the so-called corrupt bargain between his father and Henry Clay. (laughs) Uh, And this story also speaks to how bad he was with money. Oh, no. As the eldest son, um, like his father and his grandfather before him, he was expected to become a great success. But unlike his father, John Quincy, who was the only one of his brothers to spend a lot of time in Europe with his father... George Washington Adams was left behind by his parents.
1: That's sad.
0: Yeah. John Quincy Adams, he was offered the job of minister to Russia in 1809. That's when George was just eight years old. Mm -hmm. And John Quincy made the decision, much to the heartbreak of Louisa, Mm -hmm. to take Louisa with him and to take just their youngest son, Charles, who was a baby. So eight-year-old George and five-year-old John oh. were left behind in Massachusetts with an aunt and uncle and their grandparents, John and Abigail. Mm-hmm. George didn't see his parents again for six years.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
0: when he was 13 years old.
1: That's that's missing their childhood. Yeah,
0: exactly. And George doesn't mince words about the fact that this separation had a major role in how his life turned out. Really? Yeah, and it may have made all the difference for young Charles as well.
1: Oh, I'm sure that was heartbreaking to Louisa.
0: Yeah. She didn't have a say. It just, she didn't have a choice. She didn't want that to happen, but she was kind of overruled by John Quincy and, and Abigail and John.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's terrible. Definitely. Six years being separated from your children.
0: Yeah. But now George was 22 years old. He was a Harvard graduate and he was getting started in his law career.
1: This is the oldest.
0: Yeah. Okay. He was getting started in his law career. But he had the soul of a poet, Mm -hmm. the tortured soul of a poet. Oh, no. And his heart belonged to Mary Helen. Oh, boy. Yeah. He writes to his father asking for permission to marry her. Wow. So his father, John Quincy Adams, he consents, but with some conditions. And it's not exactly clear what those are. Mm -hmm. One of them might have been, okay, but Mary Helen has to manumit her slaves and give them their freedom before the wedding um, because I don't want any of my sons to own slaves.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah. Lindsay Chervinsky talks about that possibility in an article called uh, mm-hmm. The Enslaved Household of John Quincy Adams. Mm. It also sounds like he may have made George agree to wait to get married for several years until he was well-established and he could prove that he could take care of a family. Okay. So George agrees to those terms. Sure. And while he's in Boston establishing himself in his law office, envisioning the house that he and Mary Helen are going to live in one day. Oh, no. Mary Helen is back home in Washington reading his love letters.
1: Okay. And she marries someone else?
0: One step at a time. Okay. One step at a time. My
1: mind is jumping ahead.
0: I don't blame you. Mary Helen, um, she's reading his love letters, but those love letters are coming slowly, like only once a month, maybe.
1: Oh, wow. Not, that's, that's yeah. That's not a lot.
0: It's not a lot. It's not often enough To keep her interest, it seems. Mm. And when George is hundreds of miles away in Boston, his younger brother, John, comes home from Harvard a little earlier than planned.
1: So he's in Washington with Mary.
0: Yes. Now let's talk about that middle child, John. Okay. John was the most sarcastic of the brothers and and arrogant. He was the bad boy. Mm. Um, In pictures, I think he he looks like a good looking fellow, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, I'll show you what he looks like. So that is John Adams the second.
1: Oh, yeah. He's got bad boy written all over him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think he looks good looking for the time, but you you never know how much the artist is improving things. (laughs)
1: Louisa,
0: his own mother, once wrote (laughs) in a letter to Mary Helen, um, she wrote, John was getting uglier. George had Mm. always been ugly. And Charles looked better than he looked last year. (laughs) Right? Oh, that's funny. Charles even talked about how none of the family was good looking except one cousin, Thomas, who, who somehow luckily managed to escape all this drama. <laughs> Speaking of drama, the reason that John came home early from Harvard was because of something called the Great Rebellion of
1: 1823.
0: Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. These details come uh, mostly from a 1982 article for the Harvard Crimson by Thomas J. Mayer. So basically, John's class at Harvard, 81 students. They were not what any teacher would call a good class. They were spectacularly rowdy. Mm -mm. There was this tradition of celebrating off campus the night before this big exam, and it was canceled at the end of their freshman year. They did not like that. So they rebelled. (sighs) They went out and they partied. The president of the university responded by suspending the two organizers of that party for six months.
1: Wow. That's harsh.
0: I know. So when they were leaving campus, their friends were applauding them as they laughed. These poor party martyrs.
1: Oh, my goodness. It's like rowdy children haven't changed. (laughs) This is the same story.
0: Um, Then when they were sophomores, they got into a food fight with a new freshman class. It was called a food fight, but it escalated beyond your general definition of a food fight.
1: Well, what was being thrown like hot dog stands
0: <laughs> one student's log said have demolished doors and windows and destroyed all the crockery china etc and after that peace was restored it sounds like the dishes entire cafeteria <laughs> was, was being destroyed drawn around dishes doors windows everything wow. wow and they got even more brazen they started going after their tutors and even the president they went out at midnight with clubs and stones to break their windows one tutor had a bucket of ink dropped on his head. At one point, a student dropped a cannonball from the fourth floor. It didn't hit anybody.
1: A cannonball, but
0: it had an insulting note for a tutor on it.
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah,
0: that student got suspended.
1: Okay, well that's just downright dangerous. This I, is I more agree. Than rowdy.
0: No, this is yes. This I, is a
1: rebellion. <laughs> this is.
0: Um, there were late night bonfires on the yard. Just general chaos.
1: <laughs> Gosh.
0: And that's when a group of students broke off from the rebels. Uh-uh. And they became informants on who the troublemakers were. These snitches were called the blacks by the other rebels who considered themselves high fellows. Okay. The rowdiness got worse when the rebels figured out who the informants were. And the rebels started getting punished based on the informants intel. Yeah. Um, So instead of raging against the machine or whatever, it became a civil war between the high fellows and the blacks. It came to a head between the leaders of the two groups robinson one of the rebels and woodbury an informant both of these men were vying for the coveted role of latin orator at their commencement what is that it's somebody who gives some sort of latin speech i don't know harvard kids love latin and they will fight for their right to sound elite
1: (laughs) oh my gosh i was the latin coordinator (laughs) orator oh i orate latin
0: yeah um so the informant woodbury Decides to take out the competition, Robinson, the head rebel. He tells the college government that Robinson is the one behind all the shenanigans. And he says that Robinson is also spending his scholarship money in dissipation at Boston. Mm. So, I know, alcohol, prostitutes, okay. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so the college responds by taking away Robinson's scholarship and his privilege of performing at a class exhibition. So, no talent show for him. Mm. The rebels are pissed. Oh,
1: my goodness. They
0: can't let that snitch Woodbury get away with this. Mm -hmm. So during Woodbury's performance at the exhibition, they loudly boo and hiss him for like a full five minutes.
1: Oh, that's terrible.
0: Yeah. Then the college blames Robinson for all of this happening. So they already took away a scholarship. They banned him from the talent show. Now he's expelled.
1: Okay. For hissing and booing.
0: Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now the rebels are even angrier. They direct their vengeance toward Woodbury again. Oh, my goodness. When he enters the chapel. They have
1: not learned their lesson.
0: No, they they will not be stopped.
1: (laughs) Apparently not.
0: When Woodbury enters the chapel, they scream at him to leave. He refuses, and one kid punches him in the face. Then they pile on him and throw him headlong over the stairs.
1: Oh, my gosh. Did he survive this ordeal?
0: He did survive. Four of the students were expelled for this. And later that night, the same thing happens. Woodbury, who somehow is not a pile of broken bones, he enters the chapel again and the rebels throw him out again.
1: Physically throw him.
0: Apparently. 41 of the rebels, they stand on the common and they announce that they will not settle down until the four students who got expelled for throwing a kid over the stairs are brought back and until that snitch Woodbury is kicked out of school. Also, they say that the next time Woodbury tries to enter the chapel... They're going to do the same thing and thrash him severely.
1: Oh my goodness! So yeah, they want to beat him up. Yes. I mean, how many rebels were there?
0: The, forty-one of the, forty-one it's of them were on the like, common and saying, "This is what we're going to do." I'd and be that's, worried that's, about, that's about my life.
1: Class. Yeah, I'd be worried about my life.
0: Yeah, Woodbury does not want to be thrashed severely, so he goes into hiding. Mm-hmm. The next day, the president of the university has had enough. Well, yeah. Right. About A time. Late. <laughs> um. These out of control rebels. They'd spent four years at Harvard graduation was just days away. They were so close. But he doesn't care. He expels 37 of them.
1: I mean, I probably would have given a warning like, look, this behavior is not OK. Don't ruin this. I will expel you. And then do it if they don't stop.
0: Yeah. Maybe earlier, like when they started dropping cannons.
1: Yeah. They should have been talking about expulsion long before.
0: All of this highlighted huge disciplinary problems. And there were changes after all of this. So 37 students were expelled, including John Adams II. second. Oh. Yeah, no commencement it's for the rebels. Yep. He doesn't get to see Woodbury come out of hiding and rock that Latin oratory. Oh my gosh. He also won't get a diploma or a degree. All he gets for that four years at Harvard is shame.
1: Wow. That's a bad decision. I mean it's just a bad decision. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a it's a bad decision on a lot of people's parts yeah. that led to that. So John Quincy Adams, he was second in his class at Harvard, Uh and now his son is not going to finish at all.
1: Now his son just got expelled.
0: Yeah. So John Quincy writes to the president of Harvard and tries to get him to reconsider. But the president of Harvard writes back to the secretary of state of the (laughs) United States and says, sorry, our decision is final.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's ballsy. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I just want to know if there were warnings.
0: I mean, I think that there were repeated warnings and there were there were punishments for certain students. Mm-hmm. And but the others just reacted, you know,
1: Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound like yeah. it was fair to anybody.
0: No. So John comes home with his tail between his legs. <laughs> oh, and while George is still in Boston, getting his legal career established so he can get married here comes John, dishonorably discharged from his service in the Great Rebellion of 1823 <laughs> and just down the hall from his cousin, Mary Helen.
1: hmm Yeah. I'm sure she makes him feel all better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the details and the timing of what happened next, it's not super clear. We get like little bits and pieces until we get some hard, solid facts.
1: Okay. What are the bits and pieces?
0: Not long after John comes home, Louisa writes to her son George with a cryptic message.
1: So at this point get home soon, (laughs) you've got some competition. (laughs)
0: Right. At this point, George and Mary are still engaged Mm -hmm. and Louisa writes to him and she says, a certain friend of yours for whom it is said you feel an enthusiastic admiration is playing a game which no one can comprehend but the initiated in your capital, at least so rumor says.
1: Okay, so someone's initiating a little bit of a competition, a game.
0: Something is going on. Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't say, hey, your fiance might be cheating on you with one or both of your brothers. She says she doesn't even say fiance or anything. She says a certain friend of yours
1: for whom it said. Yeah. I hear you like this person. Yeah. You might want to check in at home.
0: Right. Exactly. A few months later, Louisa tells Mary in a letter that she was so in the habit of behaving shamefully.
1: Sleeping with all the brothers. (laughs) I mean, what, is, what else is a woman doing that? I mean, that's what I'd be doing if I wasn't allowed to vote or be involved in politics. She's or, not
0: even going to school, you know?
1: Loud allowed at school. Like, that's all there is to do. Yeah, you can't
0: leave the house.
1: Yeah, it's like, okay. Stay in the
0: house with these boys.
1: I will <laughs> sleep with them. <laughs> that's like yeah. the only excitement she has at her fingertips.
0: You know, yeah. Can't yeah. blame her. Um, Charles tries to talk George out of the engagement. He says it's not going to end well. Trust me.
1: Which one's Charles and which one's
0: Charles Francis is the youngest one who's already possibly slept with her and he's jaded
1: heartbroken and he's trying to tell who he's trying
0: to to tell George look like don't get married to her things are happening
1: George is the oldest okay yeah
0: here's a nice juicy diary entry from Charles Francis at the time
1: and is Charles the youngest Mm -hmm. okay
0: he's the most observant the keenest and the one with the most diary entries (laughs) okay great but of one thing I am satisfied that Mary has been behaving unworthily to George, and consequently, that if he marries her, he connects himself with a woman who has no personal affection for him, and there is the stumbling block. My mother is half inclined to the marriage and half opposed. My father is tacitly opposed. I have done my duty, I have stated my opinion, and I am now prepared to have nothing more to do with the matter. I am sorry for John, who I understand is the victim of her arts, partially, as it is a conflict in his high feelings of honor, which should have been spared him. But I am confident absence will cure him at almost any time.
1: Wow. So tacitly silent. It's interesting. So John Adams.
0: John Quincy Adams doesn't want um, George to marry
1: Yeah, but he had said, like, get your act together first. And maybe he was just trying to delay.
0: It sounds like he was probably just trying to delay. Oh. Yeah, and Charles Francis is over here, still jaded, still saying like George shouldn't marry her. John's another victim of hers.
1: I mean, Mary seems to be really running amok with these boys. <laughs> John Quincy's probably like, God, I get this girl out of my house.
0: Right? And th- these poor Adams boys are just helpless victims poor to the wiles boys. of this woman this yes. woman. <laughs> I mean
1: the uncontrollable petticoat magic.
0: Yes. I mean, okay, if she's engaged to George, she she shouldn't be fooling around with his brother, but it takes two to tango here. Yeah. And maybe three or four in this case.
1: And are they engaged really? And where the hell is he again?
0: He's off in Boston trying to establish himself in his law office.
1: So really, this is all Quincy's fault. John Quincy Adams' fault. <laughs> <laughs> if maybe. She had, if they had just married and he took her with him or something. Yeah. This probably wouldn't have happened. If
0: things might have ended better for some folks mm-hmm. if that happened. But, I mean, this this isn't all Mary's fault. It, it shouldn't be up to her to maintain everyone's honor. Right. You know, she can barely maintain her own.
1: I mean, How can it's she... no one else's fault. I mean, well, the men have to take some yeah, responsibility definitely. is what I'm saying. Yes. She it, sounds like the villain, but honestly, like, it takes two to tank up, Yeah. Like you said.
0: Well, I mean, if she's really very beautiful and they're all just butt ugly, according yeah. to their mother, um, <laughs> I don't know who's to blame to their then. their
1: mother. <laughs> it's not
0: it's not clear when George and Mary's engagement ended, but I hope that it was sometime before November 1827, because that's when it was announced that Mary Helen was going to be married to John.
1: Wow. Yeah. More heartbreak. I know. But honestly, it's really not my job to keep you pure. You know what I mean?
0: Are are you talking to me now? What's happening?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking as Mary to the boys.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Nobody except John and Mary were really in favor of this wedding, but it's clear that they were gonna be together anyway, and it would be less scandalous for everyone if they were actually married before Mary started popping out babies. Oh, gosh. The wedding was put together pretty quickly. It makes me wonder if maybe it was a shotgun wedding. I she think she was already
1: pregnant. That's I think, what I was thinking.
0: I think they had their first child like eight months later or something. Oh, so I don't, don't know. The wedding was in the White House. George did not attend. Charles Francis did not attend.
1: So both brothers were not there.
0: Correct. John Quincy Adams right, almost didn't. Was that
1: logistically didn't... or they chose not to be it, there?
0: It seems like they chose not to be there. John Quincy Adams almost didn't attend either. Uh, he had to be reminded midday that it was even happening.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like it happened pretty hastily. So yeah. maybe no one could get out in time.
0: Um, uh, not that hastily. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Louisa wrote to Charles the next day. Saying that the bride was cool, easy, and indifferent as ever weird not a great assessment of a wedding
1: no indifferent.
0: yeah and she said the groom looks already as if he had all the cares in the world upon his shoulders, and my heart tells me that there is much to fear.
1: oh my goodness. yeah, th- sounds like a lot of drama
0: yeah, that's that's not what you want to hear after a wedding no um but she was right there was much to fear
1: really more there's more to fear. Oh, yeah. We haven't gotten to the last act.
0: That brings okay. us to act three. Kill. Kill. Okay. And I just want to say now that Mary Helen does not actually kill anyone. I'm sorry. All right. Um, she cannot and should not be held responsible for any deaths. Okay. With that said. All right. George did not take the news well. He was constantly in a struggle to be the great famous heir his father demanded that he be. When he was in the bottom 40% of his class at Harvard, his father told him that until he was in the top 10%, he didn't want to see him.
1: That's so sad.
0: I know. When he was 16 years old, George wrote about a dream that he had where he sees this beautiful woman. And then his father's face appears behind her and says, (sighs) remember, George, who you are and what you are doing.
1: My gosh, this sounds like some intense parental pressure.
0: John Quincy was incredibly harsh with him. He chastised him about not being good enough, about accruing too many debts. He wrote to him once that he should never more to burden yourself with shameless expenses and senseless debts as to books, debts for books, of what earthly use to you are or can be books with such a life as you have led. The very possession of books is a perpetual sarcasm upon your prostitution of your time to licentiousness.
1: Oh, my goodness. Can you break that down for me a little bit?
0: Um, he's saying, I thought I
1: understood and then it changed. He's and... saying, I don't
0: understand why you're spending so much money on books That's, that when part I understand. Um, you're a shitty, disappointing alcoholic oh. um, and books aren't doing you any good, obviously. Oh. It's like a, an affront to the books okay. to have them there.
1: Okay, got it.
0: Yeah, um, but John Quincy always bailed him out sometimes in ways that were meant to make George feel like less of a failure. Mm. At one point John Quincy bought most of George's library of books from him but let him hold on to the books.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, gosh.
0: Yeah. But then John Quincy asked him for like an itemized list of the books
1: uh-huh. and
0: George never provided one. Wow. Yeah.
1: I mean that sounds like a lot of work.
0: <laughs> it does. Yeah, we don't,
1: we don't own a library. And if I asked you to provide an itemized list of each book, I doubt I would see that list either.
0: But maybe if you gave me like thousands of dollars for the books because I desperately needed it, I might, I don't know, reply eventually, <laughs> not never. I don't think you'd
1: ever give me a list of the books. I would give you a list.
0: <laughs> So when you mix all that pressure with a genetic predisposition to alcoholism and depression. Yeah. And you're also kind of bailed out every time and enabled.
1: And you're left behind when you're five.
0: Yes. All of that is just a recipe for disaster.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mediocrity was never an option for George. He was either going to be the president of the United States someday or he was going to be a worthless drunk.
1: Oh, man.
0: There was no middle ground in his mind. But for a while, he was on a pretty encouraging path. He won a prestigious writing award in a competition that included Ralph Waldo Emerson.
1: Oh, I love that name.
0: Yeah. He was asked by the city of Quincy to deliver their annual 4th of July address. Mm -hmm. And he wrote and delivered a a great speech. He was even so proud of it that he sent a copy to Thomas Jefferson, Mr. 4th of July himself. Wow. And Jefferson responded, thanking him for the eloquent oration. And he called him a young character of so much promise and descended through a lineage so meritorious. Oh, man. Yeah.
1: That's more pressure, though. (laughs) Yeah.
0: He was elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives. He was on a path to political success, carrying the torch for the family.
1: Mm -hmm. So where did he flounder off the path?
0: Right around the time that he stopped being engaged to Mary Helen.
1: Oh. Yeah. Gosh, so she really did destroy all their lives in their their view.
0: Maybe. Um, One thing about George, though, that speaks to me, to both of us, He was what we might call a murderino. Really? He once wrote about how when he was just nine years old, he heard about a neighbor being poisoned and what the poison did to the body. And he said that this was when he acquired a singular taste for narrations of crime, tales of terrible depravity, mysterious horror, and supernatural power.
1: Oh, I love it. Right? That's very cool.
0: Yeah, I found a letter from 1825 from Louisa to George that kind of has eerie echoes in events to come. Mm Mm-hmm. Louisa, like George, she was drawn to true crime and to the macabre. Mm-hmm. She started the letter with, As you know me to be an amateur of the horrible incidents of human tragedy. <laughs> My dear George, you will not be surprised at receiving some lines written by me on a melancholy event which recently took place in the city. Oh, It was the story of a man who seduced his housekeeper and strung her along promising to marry her. Oh. When he married someone else, This woman took a large dose of Quicksilver and died in dreadful agonies.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: Yeah, dying by what Louisa called the dire crime of suicide upon her head. Mm. And she included a dramatic poem that she wrote about it called The Suicide, where the woman named Mary is tormented and deranged and drinks the liquid fire. Wow. There's like almost like a moral in what Louisa wrote to him of don't go chasing housekeepers.
1: <sighs> or waterfalls. Yeah,
0: stick to the cousins and the girls that you're used to. <laughs> if only George had taken that moral to heart. Mm-hmm. After getting news of his ex-fiancee marrying his brother, he just sank further into depression.
1: It's so sad.
0: His law practice was rumored to be a den of drunkenness and promiscuity. Uh, he was said like... to be attracted to low-class girls. Oh. And he apparently fell for one young woman named Eliza Dolph. Mm -hmm. She was a chambermaid for a doctor, a doctor that George sometimes boarded with.
1: A chambermaid would be like a housekeeper? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. That young woman, Eliza Dolph, got pregnant. Mm. She had the baby and it was a big secret.
1: Oh, God.
0: Not even her parents knew.
1: Wow. How did they not know?
0: I don't know. Maybe because she was living with the doctor. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. But she started staying with an acquaintance under a fake name with this six-week-old baby. And then George Washington Adams and this other doctor, David Storer, they decided that they needed to get an apartment for Eliza and the baby, someplace where George could visit her and the baby a couple of times a week. We only know about this because of a man named Miles Farmer.
1: Okay.
0: He was the manager of some apartment buildings. And this doctor, Dr. Storer, came to him and he said, look, there's this girl. She had a baby out of wedlock. The <laughs> father's a very important person. Oh, um, this needs to remain discreet. Can she stay with your family? Wow. And the father will pay you, of course.
1: Well, that's a, that, I mean, it's just like, how do you keep those secrets?
0: Oh, also, by the way, I'm not going to tell you who the father is until you agree to house her.
1: Oh, Okay.
0: Yeah, Miles Farmer was cagey on this from the start. He said, look, I need to know who this is. My mm-hmm. reputation could be on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Store finally convinced Miles' wife to agree to the terms before they found out who it was. Mm-hmm. And then dramatically, once that's all agreed to, Dr. Storer says that the father is none other than George Washington Adams, the son of the President of the United States. So, Kaboom! <laughs> yeah. So Eliza and the baby move in. And this guy Farmer tells George... You can visit her twice a week, but either me or my wife needs to be there when you do. It needs to be supervised Why um, is that? so that no shenanigans happen oh. because the idea of this unmarried couple doing anything more is just okay. under his roof. Oh, never.
1: Oh, so he just wants to prevent them from from having sex again.
0: Yeah. That's sounds like really it. it. OK. Yeah.
1: As opposed to maybe him stealing the baby. or I don't
0: I don't think that's a concern. No. OK. Uh, George says Fine. He buys some furniture from Farmer. He gives it to Eliza. Things are going okay for a few weeks. He's visiting sometimes. Mrs. Farmer is even watching the baby sometimes. Mm -hmm. Then Eliza gets sick. Too sick to nurse.
1: Oh. Is she pregnant again?
0: Mm, I don't know. Dr. Storer finds another family to take care of the baby and nurse it. He gives them a fake story about whose baby it is. Then George finds out that the baby's been moved. He gets really loud one night when he's visiting. He's probably drunk. He's yelling about how all this furniture is his. He goes outside at one point and Farmer locks him out and says, that's it.
1: Stay out of You're here. You're gone. Mm-hmm.
0: The next day, George comes to him and he apologizes profusely. He says, please, look, don't take my asshole behavior out on Eliza or the baby. Mm-hmm. Don't even tell Dr. Storer about this. And Farmer says, look, people are starting to talk. And if they find out who I'm letting stay here, I could lose my job. Yeah, and George says, "Look, I'll vouch for you. I'll tell them that you did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you lose your job, I'll hook you up with another one at the soap <sighs> company.
1: The soap company."
0: And Farmer right. says, "Fine, we're cool.
1: All right. That's all
0: according to Farmer." George writes to his brother Charles Francis, and he says,
1: "The youngest,
0: yeah. Hey, um, if if I if I die this year, just make <laughs> sure that uh, my debts are paid off, and give whatever is left to uh, Eliza and my child."
1: Okay, why did he think he was going to die?
0: It's unclear. While all this is happening, it's also a big depressing time for John Quincy Adams. He just lost his reelection to Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's getting ready to leave Washington. He and Louisa knew that George was in a bad place. I'm not sure, though, that they knew just how bad.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't know he had a baby. Right? I don't
0: think so. At this point, though, John Quincy starts to write to him with tenderness. His parents tell him, come to Washington. Help us move back to Quincy. Mm-hmm. We love you. Just come. And he okay. goes. Yeah, yeah. He boards a steamboat called the Benjamin Franklin. Mm. According to a fellow passenger, George was cheerful at first, conversational, but things changed quickly. Aboard the ship, George had a pounding headache, and he thought the birds were speaking to him.
1: Sounds like withdrawal of some kind.
0: Yeah, he thought that people had been trying to break into his room. He said that the ship's engine noise seemed to be saying something to him over and over. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Creepy. Yeah. That night, he went to bed, but he kept getting up. He woke up one passenger and demanded to know if they were spreading rumors about him.
1: Wow. He not only sounds like he's coming off of something, he sounds like paranoid.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I mean, the way he was acting, maybe they had been talking about him behind his back. (sighs) Um, But they said no. And then he went from sleeping passenger to sleeping passenger with a candle looking for the culprit.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: He finally went back to bed. And then he got up again at 3 a.m., He asked the captain to take him ashore immediately. And the captain said, why? And George said that the passengers were all against him Mm -hmm. and they were talking about him and laughing. The captain said no. And shortly after this, the captain apparently hurt his foot. This is just wild speculation. The captain
1: hurt his foot?
0: Yeah. This is just wild speculation on my part, but I'm wondering if George like stomped on it to get him to listen to him. And the captain just told him to sod off. I don't know. More speculation on my part is that this sounds consistent with alcohol related psychosis yeah or alcoholic hallucinosis yeah uh which can look a lot like schizophrenia
1: yeah i was gonna say it's either an onset of schizophrenia or because how old was he at this point
0: um he was 28
1: that's a little old for it to be and as far as i know there's
0: not a history of that in his family
1: right but alcoholism it sounds like he's withdrawing
0: yeah And that poor guy. Yeah. Symptoms of that can include hallucinations, paranoia, fear, sometimes headaches.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, After begging the captain to take him ashore, another man said that he talked to George for a while on the deck. And then 10 minutes later, this man saw George's hat lying on the deck. Then they found his cloak. Oh, no. But George was nowhere to be found.
1: He jumped off. Maybe
0: the passenger who told all of this in person to John Quincy Adams he concluded that in the wandering of his mind, he'd fallen overboard.
1: Yeah. Or he got scared and thought he was hiding or, you know, maybe
0: um, alcohol related psychosis has also been tied to suicide.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Ugh.
0: It seems that he threw himself into the same waters, basically, at 28 years old that he threw his parents keys and his shoes into when he was just six years old.
1: That is, oh, that is fucked up that you would bring that up. Uh, <laughs> it's like really sad. It's a really sad connection to make. I'm um, sorry. Yeah. It just sounds like he was ill. Definitely. And died because he was ill. Yeah. And was having withdrawal and I just feel bad that no one could help him.
0: Definitely. Um his body washed ashore six oh. weeks later.
1: I mean, that's just a tragedy. Yeah. And I feel like may have been preventable in modern with modern medicine, you know? Just Definitely. like being able to identify what was going on and Yeah. It's really sad. And it actually reminds me of that very eerie missing girls case from um, that hotel. Oh,
0: yeah. The Cecil Hotel. The
1: Cecil Hotel. Yeah. Where the girl. She's acting was strangely. Having, she's acting strangely. And she has some paranoia. And she might have yeah. been having a bipolar episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That could have been happening here because it's he, he, he wanted to go ashore. He wanted to yeah. escape.
1: Maybe he was trying to get to shore.
0: Maybe. We just don't know.
1: Oh, it's so sad.
0: Yeah. John Quincy and Louisa were devastated. Sure. Charles Francis, who knew that he was going to have to clean up the mess that George left behind, he said the death was not untimely.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. And Charles Francis did clean up George's messes, including mm-hmm. a lot of his debt. He also burned most of George's diaries and letters.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. It was thought that they wouldn't do anything positive for the Adams legacy. Oh. Then another of George's messes came knocking at Charles's door. The baby. Miles Farmer was really put out when George died (sighs) because there went his money for keeping Eliza. There went the person who could tell the truth and clear up exactly what was going on there. Mm -hmm. And there went the one person who said he'd hook him up with a job if he lost his. Right. Eliza was still kind of sick, so he didn't want to kick her out. And Dr. Storer. What was wrong with her? We don't know. Okay. Yeah. And Dr. Storer, who, like, arranged for her to be there in the first place, he was no help at all at this point. So Farmer went looking for relief where he could. He went to Charles Francis Adams. Mm -hmm. But he made a grave mistake.
1: This is kind of like that no good deed situation. (laughs) Kind of.
0: (laughs) This story, there are no heroes in this story for me.
1: That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I know. I don't really like anybody.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. So Farmer could have said, hey, I'm in this tight spot. George promised me that he would do this. Could you please compensate me for taking care of this woman? But he didn't do that. He went straight to an ultimatum or blackmail. He said, pay me or I'll tell everyone about George's love child.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Charles Francis did not respond well to this. (laughs) He basically said, don't ever talk to me again. I have nothing to do with you or that woman or that child.
1: Wow. This poor child.
0: I know. It sounded like the Adams family was gonna have nothing to do with them anyway, but at some point the child died.
1: Oh God, this keeps getting worse.
0: I well, okay, I couldn't find much about this at all. And I'm not a hundred percent that the child didn't just live on with another family, and either Eliza was told that it died, or she didn't want to take care of the baby in the first place, and she told people that it died. I don't know.
1: Uh. So So you're saying the child might not have died.
0: I'd like to think that there's a secret line of Adams descendants out there somewhere because of this.
1: All right. I'd like to believe that, too. Yes.
0: Anyway, Miles Farmer was furious with the Adams family and Dr. Storer, who started saying that Farmer was all these terrible things, which maybe he was. I don't know. But Farmer was very insistent that his reputation was all that he had. So he sued Dr. Storer for libel. And that's kind of why we know about all this. Okay. But even more than winning and getting paid damages... Farmer said what he really wanted, more than anything, was just to be vindicated. He wanted the world to know that he was just a nice guy pressured to help out this poor girl, Mm -hmm. but he was taken advantage of by this jerk doctor and these upper-class jerks, the Adamses, who obviously didn't care about regular people.
1: Right. It doesn't seem like they do. Yeah. He may have had a point there. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So he hired a reporter to attend this libel trial to write down everything so that he could publish a record of his honorability and everyone else's jerkiness. (laughs) but when the judge found out that there was a reporter there, they ordered them to leave Mm. And farmers like wait 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 a minute So it's cool if people tell lies and talk crap about me all day in public But when the truth is testified to in court, that's Mm -hmm. private. Yeah, this is bullshit, right? It's worth noting that dr. Storer on the other side claimed that farmer was spreading lies about himself and trying to damage his own reputation so that he could sue for more damages
1: Huh, that's backwards and bizarre.
0: Yeah, this is one of those cases where I, I don't really want anyone to win. Right. But Farmer did win. He got a couple hundred dollars.
1: All right. Well, I don't like him. He sounds kind of backwards himself, but he did take them in.
0: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was pressured to. In his to. home. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like maybe he spent all of that money trying to publish the story of the Adams family scandal um, and how he was wronged, but all the copies were somehow destroyed at the printer's.
1: Huh, that's mysterious.
0: Then he paid another printer and that didn't work out. Uh, By the time he finally got the pamphlet published on the third attempt, uh um, it was embarrassing for the family. But Charles Francis said it was also a relief because the threat of it going public had been looming for two years Uh, and now it was done.
1: Yeah.
0: But that pamphlet telling the story of the trial, it might be the only reason that we know the name Eliza Dolph. Oh, wow. So Hmm. Mary Helen... She's married to John. They have two daughters. They continued to live with John Quincy and Louisa in Washington, and John's alcoholism just got worse.
1: The middle child? Yes. Okay.
0: He died probably from cirrhosis of the liver uh, at 31 years old.
1: Oh my gosh. 28, 28 and 31. 31.
0: Yeah. John Quincy came to see him just before he passed, and he promised Mary that he would be a father to her and her children after his son Ooh. died. We're not out of the sadness yet. Oh gosh, there's
1: more sadness. Did their daughters die?
0: One of Mary's daughters died young. They too, and that was another huge heartbreak for the family. Her other daughter, how old was she? um, I think she was less than ten. I can't. I know.
1: How did she die? I
0: don't sickness. I don't know exactly. I
1: can't. It's too awful.
0: Her other daughter carried on the fine family tradition of marrying a cousin.
1: Okay. Um, I just like, even though I'm wearing really tough press on tattoos, I'm really feeling vulnerable right now. I'm
0: sorry. But this time, uh, her daughter married a third cousin. Mm -hmm. So that's progress. Okay. Things are looking up, right?
1: A little less incestuous. Yeah.
0: Mary lived with John Quincy and Louisa through their old age, and she helped take care of them.
1: Well, that's nice yeah i mean they weren't really for her marrying anybody <laughs> but here she is taking care of them in their old age
0: yeah it sounds like she and louisa really grew close they
1: hit it off eventually
0: yeah when when they brought mary helen in when she was just 11 she was the closest thing that louisa had to a daughter mm. since her own daughter uh, had died in russia when she was just one
1: oh God, i can't yes um all these lost children i just i'm gonna cry
0: Charles Francis was with them in Russia. He was the only one who ever got to know her (sighs) and experienced that loss with them.
1: Oh, man.
0: After John Quincy and Louisa died, Mary moved in with her daughter's family. They had four children and then her daughter died.
1: Wait a minute.
0: Yes. Um, The one that
1: survived? Yes. Then grew up to be... A mother of four.
0: And then and she then died, died before her mother. Yes.
1: Okay, so this woman, Mary Helen. Yes. Lost both her children.
0: Yes. And at that point, her son-in-law kicked her out. Wouldn't let her live with them anymore or the grandkids.
1: Oh, why?
0: I don't know. She moved back to Washington by herself. And one of the only people who was there for her was Charles Francis.
1: Oh, wow. The one who was heartbroken initially. Yeah.
0: There's a great article from the New England Historical Association that was a great source for this, and it's called, Mary Helen Picks the Wrong Son of John Quincy Adams. Mm. And the idea is that of the three boys, George, John, and Charles, Mary should have picked Charles. Yeah. Because Charles, by the way, he went on to great success. <laughs> he was a great historical writer. He ran for vice president once on a ticket with Martin Ben Buren for oh, the Free Soil no. Party. Yeah, this was after Martin Van Buren's presidency and and after the Amistad case, when Mm -hmm. he was finally coming around to the idea that, hey, slavery is pretty bad. Yeah. They did not win. But Charles went on to even greater success as the U.S. envoy to the United Kingdom under Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Wow. Yeah. So Charles Francis Adams helped convince Britain to stick with the Union during the Civil War. And the Civil War, it was screwing with Britain's cotton supply they could very well have decided to back the Confederacy. Mm. But Charles, who had mastered the art of keeping his passions in check, Mm -hmm. he helped keep Britain neutral, which was huge. Wow. So compared to the fates of George and John, Charles is the clear success, just like Mm. his father John Quincy was in his generation, and his grandfather John was in his.
1: And he was the baby who stayed with his parents. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, oh,
1: man, that's sad. Yeah. I mean, it's great for Charles. But yeah, Paul... and he ended up being there for for Mary. Yeah, it's just interesting how it comes full circle like that.
0: Definitely. So Charles might have been the catch. And it might have been better for Mary if she'd kept her sights on him. But that would have prevented Charles from falling in love with and marrying Abigail Brooks.
1: Oh, so he was already married by the time he was helping. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: He got married like a year before. John Adams the married.
1: So it wasn't like I'm still here for you. I'm an old man, but no. you come back home, baby.
0: No, definitely not like that. All right, that. good. In fact, um That makes me happy. Yeah, in fact, I think a year after John married Mary, Charles wrote to his wife Abby
1: mm-hmm.
0: and basically said um, All
1: is fucked here. <laughs> no, he basically
0: said I'm I'm so glad I married you. You're so uh-huh. much better than she was. Oh god, I'm so glad I'm not with her anymore.
1: Okay. So he saw the train wreck from afar and realized that could have been me.
0: Yeah. Charles has said that if not for her, if not for Abigail Brooks, he never would have accomplished anything in his life. Aww. I don't. That's
1: such a nice thing to say about yeah, your wife. Right. Yeah.
0: I don't think that he was referring to her money when he said that. Oh no! But she did come from an extremely wealthy family. And that family money is one of the biggest reasons that we have the Adams National Historical Park, as Kelly Cobble, the curator there, told mm-hmm. us a couple episodes ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that family money may have helped Charles Francis take care of Mary Helen when she was all alone. Mm. When her son-in-law kicked her out of the home and forced her away from her grandchildren.
1: Why did he do that, I wonder?
0: I don't know. Um, but is she when
1: trying to sleep with him? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know. <laughs> Blaming the victim, Jess.
0: Yep. Um, But when that happened, Charles wrote, she is left on the wide world, more solitary than anybody in my experience. I feel for her much, though my recollections of her are mostly painful. Mm. Yeah. He was one of the few people who visited her, uh, even though it was still painful for him. Mm -hmm. He said one visit cost me more than two hours. Charles supported her until she died in 1870, Mm -hmm. the same year that he used that Brooks family money to build the stone library. Oh, wow. Yeah, that beautiful medieval style stone cottage it. that calls to me from Quincy, Massachusetts. <laughs> like that voice called to Elsa in Frozen 2.
1: Siren. Too.
0: That library <laughs> holds 6,000 of John Quincy Adams's books, including some of the ones that he bought from his son George. Wow. And that is the story of how Mary Catherine Helen played Fuck, Mary, Kill with her cousins.
1: Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> What a funny um, connection you made with that game. (laughs) You know,
0: I I try to make it accessible for the people. Yeah. Yeah. Biographers have have called her provocative, a vixen, a dangerous flirt who tormented the brothers.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: I know. This is
1: another blame the woman. It reminds me of how they portrayed George Washington's mother.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Just the way that biographers treat her and how it's just not fair. It, it acts as if like there's no ownership or accountability that the brothers play in any no, of their fates.
0: Yeah, she's this external force that just comes in and, and does things to them. And it, it can't be their fault. It must be the woman.
1: Right, right. And I'm sure she played a role, but they played a role as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. But we never get to hear her side of the story. And if there's one autobiography that I would love to read... It would be hers.
1: Yeah. And that's definitely a theme as well. Just like voices in history lost. Yeah. I think is the real tragedy as well.
0: Yeah. So there's a historical fiction assignment for someone out there.
1: Definitely. To fill in those gaps. that's fun yeah it's a fun project maybe that's the book you will write one day
0: yeah fuck mary kill <laughs>
1: the fuck story Mariger.
0: of me mary Catherine helen uh, yeah by howard Dory.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think that wouldn't go over very well um, for lots of reasons
0: no, no it, it might be difficult to find a publisher but i bet there's one out there
1: i bet there is one too yeah.
0: all right well on that note
1: <laughs> <laughs> moving on
0: Coming up right around the corner on November fourteenth, we're having an all-patron Zoom party.
1: Yes, what you the- mentioned that in the beginning.
0: I want to mention it at the end. Too. Okay, sorry. I'm gonna keep mention. I'm gonna put it in the middle.
1: Okay. Gonna <laughs> um, put me in the middle.
0: <laughs> Our patrons at every level of support are invited to a virtual meetup where we can hang out, get to know you, answer your questions, maybe awkwardly dodge them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll have some games. We'll give away some stickers. We will. Yay! We're going to celebrate the end of season three because next week is our season finale. I can't believe
1: that. I know. I know. And this has been an exciting and long haul at the same time. I mean, yeah. we've had so many developments this season with our guests and Yeah. I mean, our merch and our merch I mean, it's been and a huge
0: nominated for an award. Yeah,
1: it's been a huge season of growth and experimentation. <laughs> yes, just like college. Just like the rebels in college. Yes. <laughs> so, thank you for being on this journey with us and we're excited to wrap it up with you.
0: Absolutely, we've got a story next week about a founder who is known as the father of American medicine. <gasps> I don't want to tell are you. Are you finally? I don't want to tell you, Benjamin no, no, no. Rush. I'm not going to tell you what the episodes are ahead of time.
1: But you just did.
0: But the tentative title is. Benjamin Rush to judgment
1: oh my gosh we're finally doing an episode on Benjamin Rush
0: we're gonna have a little rush hour
1: uh bring it on yeah it's the best rush hour I've ever experienced (laughs) I haven't even been there yet Uh, that's a lot of pressure (laughs) well I don't want to drive you to alcoholism
0: (sighs) too late if you like what you heard please spread the word
1: to S- it. Sub- I just process <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you like what you heard please spread the word subscribe and follow write a review <laughs> 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 Reach <laughs> out on facebook or on twitter oh, i'm on there at okay. plod with oh. me You can find show notes and blog posts and so much more on our site at plodpod.com If you
1: like what you heard spread the word you Thank like you, you heard, so much word,
0: for plodding along with us
1: Thank you Oh, God, this keeps getting worse.